Um, yeah, three days ago, I think it was three days ago, we met up, John. And um, John, knowing roughly what I was going to talk about today, um, gave me a verse. And as always, it was right to the point. And he gave me 2 Corinthians 4, chap uh, chapter 4 and verse 7. Uh, and listening to Lorraine about the sandwich, um, I've added a couple of verses to that, 5 and 6. And this is what it says. It says, For we what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, and this was the verse that John gave me, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. And I'm reminded of broken jars. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Well, most of you know, unless if you're new here, John started a new series called Embrace the Space a few weeks ago. And he started by explaining uh, from Mark 1, verse 15, one of the, uh, I think you mentioned that it was probably the first uh, gospel written. Uh, and it's where Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom from heaven is at hand. And John said that in the here and now, where we often think of this kingdom as so far off, off in both time and space, it's actually much closer than we think. And it can be accessible, it can be embraceable in that space of the here and now. And the there, between them, where they overlap in the here and now, it's accessible. Um, if you weren't here, if you haven't been before, you weren't here for any of these, if you'd like to head over at some point today to the connect point, uh, Lorraine that has spoken today does a, a fantastic um, synopsis of the usually of the previous week's message. She calls it in a nutshell. So that'll give you a taste of what John has been talking about these last few weeks. But I, I believe that what I'll be telling you today will also come somewhat within this embrace the space theme. I need to start by explaining that um, back in January, uh, it was a, a Monday night, uh, 16th, I believe, John, we, you called it a leadership meeting. We called it a session meeting. And it's really just to sort out the current business uh, of the church. But before we got down to this business agenda, he said, well, look, not right now, but over the next few weeks, what I want you to do is to start thinking of an appropriate ending for the two words, leadership is. And it was then that I, I realized that I no longer could multitask. In the past, when I was a chef, I could, yeah, no problem. And so... For the first few minutes of the, 
the business agenda. I'm thinking, leadership is, leadership is. What is it? What it? Uh, and of course, I couldn't concentrate, so I said to God, look, you're going to have to tell me now what it is. And in a flash, he gave me just one word, and I hope it's the right word, and it was from God, and that was brokenness. And of course, everything I've been seeing since then is about brokenness. It's the usual thing, isn't it, when you, you start to think on something. Uh, and I came across a, a saying from Simone Weil, a Jewish-French philosopher, and she said, every sin is an attempt to fly from emptiness. And I believe that's how and why the, the tree, the cruciform, the cross of Jesus draws us into an ever-emptier, yet fuller life, and that it often comes through brokenness. So what I want to do is to tell you my, about my thought process journey these last few weeks into a kind of way of brokenness uh, beyond last year, 2016, because for me that was the most broken, wearisome time of God stripping stuff away from my life ever, hold of my 72 years on this earth. And yet... It was, <coughs> and I know is, excuse me, <coughs> God's gift to me for the purpose of a deeper relationship with him. Although it certainly didn't seem like it at the time, and often it still doesn't. <coughs> and I'm starting to see also brokenness fit into this jigsaw of embracing the space of heaven's kingdom in the here and now. Because, excuse me. Because amazingly, any dark suffering, thanks, John, any kind of dark suffering on my part seems to grant access, not just vertically through the cross to the, this great wounded healer, Jesus, but remarkably, it starts to reach out horizontally to those hurting and broken here and out there in the world. And I'm coming to recognize it a sign of God's love and activity in my life. Let me pray. Father, I, I just ask that the message today may be simple to understand. Let it be without attempt to lay any foundation than that which is laid and is Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a kid... Um, I used to love cowboy films. I still do. But I, don't get, I get a guilty pleasure now in thinking, oh, I haven't time for this, you know, in watching. Um, I suppose what it was, I was brought up in a, a cotton-weaving kind of grey town where everybody was into, in the factory and, and processing cotton. Um, but on a Saturday, my dad used to give me a threatening bit. Wow, that was... One and a quarter P, I worked it out, I think, <laughs> to go to the uh, Saturday afternoon kids' cinema. And um, it was so noisy, you couldn't hear a thing, but you could get the gist of it from what was happening. There was a guy who used to come around with a big stick, shut up, shut up, and as soon as he'd gone, it'd start again, you know. Uh, but I remember then, I remember I loved the Wild West because... <laughs> One of the things that brought back to mind when I was uh, thinking about brokenness, 
I was with the cowboys on the horses as they were doing kind of a pincer movement. Uh, they'd, they'd seen a herd of wild horses led by this magnificent stallion, and they were turning the herd backwards and forwards to a dead-end gulch, kind of a cul-de-sac. Do you know that's a cul-de-sac? When I went to France and said, uh, oh, c'est un cul-de-sac. Quoi? There's no such word, no such phrase apparently over there, but it's an English thing. We know what we mean with a cul-de-sac, don't we? Um, well, why was the, you know, they, they wanted to break these horses. And so the next process, where the horse breakers came in, you had the bucking broncos, and the whole process was to change the horses from being herd-led and, and dominated by this lead stallion to man-dominated and led by breaking the will of the horse. And why did they need to do it? Well, they needed to make the horse of maximum usefulness to its owner. But it was a brutal process. It, there was a lot of abuse involved. And thinking on from there, the next train of thought came to horse whisperers. I suppose horse makers rather than horse breakers. Totally different attitude to the horse. Changing its will rather than breaking it. Anybody remember, I'm going back to 1989, I think, now the horse whisperer, Robert Redford, yeah? Um, it was a great, for me, it was a great film. I, I think it's one of the few where he was, um, he, he was director and he played the lead role. And I always remember Kristen Thomas, uh, Scott Thomas, the English actress. And she phones him up and she says, I hear you help people with horse problems. And he replies, well, the truth is, I actually help horses with people problems. <laughs> and he based, I've, I've researched it, and he based the film on a guy called Jim Brannerman, uh, better known as Book Brannerman. And this guy, he was one of the first so-called horse whisperers. Um, and what had happened as a child, um, he'd had terrible physical abuse from his father to the extent that it was the school teachers eventually saw his back red raw, where he'd been beaten, he wouldn't take his shirt off for gym, etc. And he was, his father was removed from the situation, and he uh, was sent to a Christian couple who kept horses. Um, and it was there, he watched the horses, he was fascinated by the horses, and he learned the whole psychology of the language of horses from their movements. And he became to love horses, and they came to love him. Um, and he was able, as one of the first horse whisperers, so-called, often to bring back ill-treated, rogue horses back into this maximum value for their owners. He chose, if you like, a totally different, broken way with horses to the extent that someone uh, uh, looked on YouTube about it, and there was one guy said, God had Buck Brannerman in mind when he made a cowboy. So from there, this thought process, it wasn't too big a step to bring back to mind 
Christ Jesus entering Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey on Palm Sunday. Now to most of us who aren't into horses, that doesn't mean a lot. Um, if you read in Mark 11 verse 2, Jesus says to a couple of his disciples, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, the village I think was Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, and he said, you'll find a donkey's colt tied, which has never been ridden by anyone. Untie it and bring it here. <coughs> so for those who know horses, you think, well, wait a minute, it's a colt, it's never been ridden, it hasn't been castrated, it hasn't been broken, it didn't buck. Now that's the miracle of the horse whisperer. There's a miracle. The one who also changes people, those who call him Lord and Savior, to be of maximum use, in a sense, to their owner, aided by whispers from this still, small voice of the Christ in us, gently changing our will, our self-reliance, into God-reliance along this broken way of our lives. I always remember Psalm 32. For me, when I became a Christian, um, that was the first psalm that spoke to me. It was about my illness I had at the time. But it's actually David's psalm about the joy of forgiveness. But in it, in verses 8 and 9, it says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And then he says, Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under. You see, it's not just animals that have a will of their own. We're no different. We're all born rebels. We're, we've got this, this history as well and this DNA from our parents, from our grandparents, way back affecting and shaping who we are. Then there are the, the circumstances, uh, perhaps of our parent, parental upbringing, our surroundings, the culture we live in, all kinds of factors which shape this present reality of who we are. And in what's happened to me recently, I've decided there's absolutely no tidy pattern as to who gets pain and to who gets peace. It's the brokenness of this world is so all-encompassing that it encompasses all of us, way back <coughs> to and from the, the fallen man. And for me personally, when bad stuff started and continued happening to mine, uh, in, in mine and, and Peggy's lives, and I began shouting at him up there, I began shouting at God, looking for blame, I suppose. These things shouldn't be happening to me. Why are you letting it happen? Why, what about all this broken darkness? I have no control over it. And then he answered through a verse. You're asking the wrong question. Nothing to do with cause. It's nothing to do with effect. It happens so the power of God can be seen in you. The disciples, do you remember, asked him, asked him why the beggar was born blind? Was it through his sin, his parents' sin? It's in, got it here, John 9, verse 3. And Jesus said, 
It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. And Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. I was looking at Mother Teresa online and uh, some of her private writings uh, in Calcutta. And she's quoted in her writings, there is such terrible darkness within me as if everything was dead. I don't know how deeper this trial will go, how much pain and suffering it's going to bring to me, but it doesn't worry me anymore. I leave this to him as I leave everything else. Let him do whatsoever he wants for as long as he wants. And here's the punchline. If my darkness is light to some soul, Let his light, his light shine out of my darkness, she says. She knew the brightest light is always seen from the deepest, darkest well. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That was David's prayer of repentance after Nathan had seen him and said, whoa, I need to tell you something. He knew about his adultery with Bathsheba. And the same verse I looked up in the message version of the Bible has David saying, I learned, God's wor I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for one moment escape. And so here comes the truth. Blessed, lucky. Let me tell you something about luck. I listened to a Messianic Jew and he said, do you know I'm the luckiest person in this world? The Jews love acronyms. He said, I'm living under Christ's <coughs> kindness. So blessed, lucky, living under Christ's kindness are those who cry. Blessed are those who are sad, who mourn, who feel the loss of what they love because they will be held by the one who loves them. It's a strange, aching happiness that only the hurting know, for they shall, that's the promise, they shall be held. Because God empathizes both with the young and the old. He empathizes with those who have anxieties creeping up into the sides of their minds. Perhaps the abused wife, the young person who cuts the soft inside of his or her arm to let the hell out. God knows your pain. And he knows that the pain on the inside is often just as valid and more valid than the pain which can be on the outside. The broken, the destitute, the impoverished, the lacking, along with perhaps those ready now to die to self-reliance in order to become God-reliant so that this great, broken, wounded healer can hold you together. Because that's what he does. He brings wholeness. We've, we've sung about it today. Bringing wholeness. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things. And by him... 
all things hold together. I don't know whether you've heard, it's not for now, but a word called laminin. Laminin, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. Uh, you can look it up online and it's quite fascinating. Scientists have found that laminin is what holds the body together. It's the glue that holds the body together. And funnily enough, you see pictures online, it's in cross shapes. Um, so have a look at that. But uh, by the same token, scientists who can't yet understand how the world holds in, it, in its place and how it, that holds together, they call that atomic glue at the moment. We know, it tells us here, Christ holds all things together. Yeah. Um, and so suddenly, everything I was seeing around me was, oh, yeah, broken. Oh, broken. Broken. Um, and it went on from there. In, in, and then I realized we needed to be broken for God's way in this world to be effective. And then the thoughts, train thought accelerated when Sue, Sue Dartnell, you told me something about John the Baptist. Do you remember? Nope, no, okay. Well, John the Baptist obviously referred to believers as wheat. He said in Matthew 3, verse 12, his, talking about Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So I thought I'd better listen to what Jesus says about wheat. He says we believers are wheat. True, most of you know this, truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, destructed, unless it's destructed, not annihilated, it, unless it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone honors me, the Father will honor him. Are you starting to get it? Broken wheat. It needs a broken sky for the rain to come down into the broken soil. Before a hundredfold of wheat increase then comes to life and it's then re-crushed for the flour of the bread which is broken in the Lord's Supper it's broken and it's with the crushed grape, the wine for the Eucharist and I've started using at the moment this word Eucharist, I've seen it outside Anglican churches, Catholic churches for us it's just the Lord's table but yeah everything's broken I look at it and it's right through from the eternal past before the foundation of the world right through to the 
eternal future of the kingdom and back here into the now with the reminder. It's a reminder from the wounded healer that says, as I have loved you, so you are to live and love. And then I stop it, but how does it work? Paul tells us, let me give you another scripture passage. It's in 2 Corinthians, it's chapter 1, and it's verses 3 to 7. Paul says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all it goes on to say, he comforts us in all our affliction. And there was a, in my Bible, there's a footnote to that. It said affliction equals trouble or tribulation or trials or oppression. And that the Greek word has a literal meaning of being under pressure. I'm getting it. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive received from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will share in the comfort. I need to give you a little more about the Lord's Supper. That's why I stopped a few minutes ago. I was thinking about this Eucharist. And we'll be, we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper in a, in a short while. Um, when you go, as we all do, through these pressures, these afflictions... I believe it's in holding on to remembrance, which means you'll never be abandoned. It's in remembering that you will have healing. Because what matters in your life is not so much what actually happens to you, but what you happen to remember and how you remember. C.S. Lewis said, it's all about remember, remember, remember. And I'm told that this, this, this word remembrance comes from a Greek word called anamnesis. I first heard it and thought, oh, well, so what? But it's a word, I came about 12 months ago across it. It's apparently a word that only, only comes up four times in Scripture, and each time it comes up, it's in reference to the sacrifice that Christ made and is then remembered in the Last Supper. I've always liked history, and um, I look back to Plato's day, I think it was about 350, 360 years before Christ. And then it was a term used to this, this anamnesis, this... this um, Remembrance was a term used to express an intangible idea moving into this material, tangible world, impacting our everyday. And it, it's by allowing something in another world to take 
form in this physical one. And it's a lot more than remembering, say, your PIN number or the address you used to live at. Or, uh, you know, it's not a mental recall. It's more experiencing a past event through the physical to make it take form in reenactment. And I thought of an example for me. I come from Lancashire, and it's, it's like when I used to listen to comedian Les Dawson, and he was dressed up as a woman, and he was gossiping to another so-called dressed-up woman. And he was saying, hey, do you remember Agnes Ramsbottom? You know, you know, the one who had it all. <laughs> and when I heard that, it reminded me, it brought back to mind my mother into the present, into re present remembrance. Because she had this habit of talking, and then when, when it was a bit, there were certain unmentionable bits of conversation, <laughs> she'd mime it. <laughs> and that's what Les Dawson, he took that, but, you know, and, and used it in his comedy. But of course, I think I mentioned to you, Alan, about it. Um, but this is the thing. This is the same with the Eucharist. It's, it's, it's that kind of connection. When Christ said, do this in remembrance of me, I'm told it's a present imperative, which means absolutely nothing to me. Just, it's just a fancy, way, a fancy way of saying present tense, apparently, but meaning in continuing action. Continue to do this, literally with broken bread and wine. Continuously do this with your life, with every bit of bread of your moments and the wine of each day. Because the one and only command that Christ gave to do continually, over and over again, is in remembrance of him. It can be at the sink. It can be at the stove. It can be on the street corner. It could have been at Weatherspoons yesterday. I don't know whether it was, was it? Um, at the setting of the sun, it can be at the rising again, and never stop continually doing this, Christ says, to make me present at every given moment. I want you to make me present. How do you think the Jewish Passover continued for 4,000 years along with the Jewish race? They continue to bring the story, the sack, the Seder, into the present reality of their lives now. But I'm thinking that how does this remember? Yeah, remember here, remember there. How does it actually work? How can you exchange his broken for your own broken and allow it to come into abundance? I'll be finishing soon. I won't be long. Well, let me repeat and explain the words of the Last Supper. You all know these words. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it gave it to them. Now, in the original language, this is where I come to this, Eucharist, give thanks reads Eucharistio, Holy Communion, the Eucharist, yeah. The root word, apparently, of Eucharistio is charis, which means grace, in other words, for, for the gift. Jesus took the bread, he saw it as grace, and he gave thanks. But there's more. I'm told that Eucharistio, 
thanksgiving also holds another Greek word, another root, which is kara. C-H this time, John. C-H-A-R-A, meaning joy. So in the Eucharist, this Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, we have grace, we have thanksgiving, we have joy. Give him thanks for his gift of grace, and therein find joy in him. Immediately thought of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that's the bit about of, of the, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, where it says, he took bread and gave thanks. But what about the, then he broke it and gave it to them. Now here comes the miracle. And I'm finding that the thanksgiving always precedes the miracle. And he broke it and gave. It's the miracle of knowing it's all enough. Do you remember going back to one of the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus embraced the space of the kingdom in the here and now and gave thanks for what was not enough. You know the kids' breakfast? Was it five loaves and two fish? But that preceded, that not enough, that giving thanks for that not enough, preceded the miracle which happens in the breaking. There was a breaking, there was a giving into a kind of communion, into an abundant filling for the whole of those 5,000 people, the whole of that communion, if you like, community. And Going to Jewish stuff a bit again, I, I remember the rabbinic prayer he would have used at that time, in, roughly in English, would have been something like, Blessed are you, eternal God our Father, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And then fast forward. Whoa, that leads me into something else. I was fast forwarding into the first and greatest Bible study of the New Testament. There's these two perplexed guys Cleopas and his mate walking along the Sabbath journey to Emmaus, uh, and a someone they didn't somehow recognize joins them. And he sets them on fire. He's giving them the very essence of all the teachings from the Tanakh, our Old Testament, the law, the writings, the prophets, about Yeshua HaMashiach, the Jewish Messiah. But they reach their home. But they can't leave him alone. They're on fire. They constrain him, the Bible tells us. In our language, it's almost, I think, manhandling. Get in there. We need to give you hospitality. And so comes the meal. In Hebrew hospitality, the guest is always the one asked to give the thank you for the meal. Keep in mind, these two would also have been with him at the feeding of the 5,000. You sure? Jesus picks up the bread. Blessed are you eternal God our Father, who causes bread to come forth from the earth, and he breaks it. Whoa! Rabbi! And there he was, gone. There was the miracle. Very last story. It's from an American pastor at the time of the Feast of Passover. He'd been over to Jerusalem, and he'd been sitting in on an Orthodox Jewish classroom. Uh, and he suddenly saw a Jewish rabbi started teaching the marriage customs of the first century Jews. 
He said that when a man had decided who he was going to marry, his father would pour a cup of wine and pass it down to his son. The son would then turn to the young woman he loved, and with all the solemnity uh, of an oath before Almighty Yahweh uh, himself, the young man would hold out the cup of wine to the woman and ask for a hand in marriage. But the, the, the crux is this. He would ask with these words, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which I offer to you. Oh. He's using the very words Jesus used at the Last Supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which I offer to you. Do you realize that that which we're going to take in a few minutes, it's a marriage covenant? Because he said, I will never fail you nor forsake you. He's for me, his fidelity, his faithful love that will not change. It's a major characteristic. But how to continuously remember? Remember your own pain, your own brokenness, your own busted heart. Remember him crucified and who you are. And remember your real name. John said this morning, we are sons of the living God, men and women. We both share the inheritance. That's why we're both sons. We, our name is Beloved. That speaks to me. My name's David. Beloved. Continuously do this in remembrance of me. Make me, make Christ present in this chaos. How? We need to be broken and given, I don't know, in a hundred everyday ways, and uncommon ways perhaps. We need to live given perhaps a hundred times a day. We need to die a little, a hundred little deaths. Well, I said to God, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if, do I really want to do it? 